Ladies and gentlemen, Pimps and Hoes, the most informative and offensive show on the web. We're going to get hopped up enough to make some bad decisions. Perhaps play a little game called Just a Tip. Just for a second, just to see how it feels. It's Skatopia. Skate, skate, skate! Visit NeverGetLaid.com to follow along with the boys. This is a real bitch. Now, on to the show. Okay, let it rip. Oh, yeah. What's going on, everybody? I am the one and only Skeet Almighty, but you, my friends, can call me Josh. How the hell are you doing? A very special edition of Skeetopia today, simply titled, When Bad Meets Evil, an intimate interview with none other than Slipknot's very own Corey Taylor. Had a chance to check out Slipknot Corn last night in San Antonio, Texas at the AT&T Center. Prepare for Hell Tour. If uh, you're listening around the country and you haven't seen the tour, I will tell you, it was fucking spectacular. I could start off with Corn by saying the last time I saw Corn uh, was probably maybe a good year ago. Not that it was bad, but for some reason, the entire band together... It just worked. It was absolutely phenomenal. Played all the hits and, you know, uh, seeing Jonathan Davis on a bagpipe and then all of a sudden breaking into Metallica's one. Just the energy of the audience was incredible. And I can only imagine what it was like at something like Knotfest. And then, of course, there comes Slipknot. I'm not going to give anything away as far as the show goes or the theatrics. Uh, If you go to the website, nevergetlaid.com, and you follow me on uh, Twitter, you can see tons of photos that my man Matt Kelly took of uh, both Corn and Slipknot. Phenomenal show. It will pretty much uh, visually spectacular. And what surprised me, man, and always, you know, I talk. I'm not one of the screamers. I'm not one of the singers, even though I can do a pretty mean Frank Sinatra like uh, Corey Taylor can. And yes, we do talk about that in the interview. It's just so amazing to me that a guy can do a two-hour set with two intermissions, light intermissions, mostly of just different changes in the background, but can still manage to hold those fucking notes. It's amazing to me. And there's three songs I'm going to wind up playing. Uh, One is probably one of my favorite, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. Two is going to be very different for you, but as a Slipknot fan, if you're a true maggot, uh, you should appreciate the artist that Corey Taylor appreciates and has always loved. And I'm going to hopefully find the song he talks about in the interview and play that. If not, then I will definitely go into a song that he personally picked that is one of his favorites off the new album called Point Five, The Gray Chapter. So let's get this underway, kids. A special edition, When Bad Meets Evil, A Conversation with Corey Taylor. In the depths of the AT&T Center here in San Antonio, Texas. Amazing. Every time I come back here, obviously big San Antonio Spurs fans. So this is actually the only, the second time I've been down here. You would never know when you're sitting in the seats yeah. of the AT&T Center that there is, uh, it just keeps going and yeah. going and going. Uh, when the Spurs were just getting inducted, uh, you know, for world champions, 
un- unfortunately for the Vans Warped Tour, they shut down the whole AT&T Center. And those poor guys in like 105 degree weather, they shut this place down, said no showers, no restrooms. You got to uh, use the porta potties with the rest. Boo. It was it was pretty bad. But uh, you guys have it pretty good. Point uh, five. Correct. Because I was watching Larry King and he would go point five, then he'd go five and then he'd go point five and then five. Uh, the great chapter. I heard that you wanted to start it just fresh, new ideas, new voices, pretty much uh, new everything. What did it take for all of your all of you collectively to get to the point where the creativity began and the floodgates just began to open? Honestly, it just it just started with conversations. You know, we just started talking about you know, you know, what do you got? You know, it it just kind of came down to talking again. You know, and feeling it out and seeing how we were all feeling because you know before that we hadn't really seen each other for about six months, and uh, you know n- nobody was really talking about new music. You know, we were just kind of doing it. You know, and then. Every, you know, we started picking the phone up and talking about it and just seeing what everybody had. And and that's where it really started. You know, I mean, it, and, uh, you know, this was stuff that was just kind of coming um, from Jim and Clown and then some stuff that just kind of started, you know, jamming in the room, you know, just kind of coming up with stuff. And, and it just kind of snowballed from there. I understand that Jim and Clown really were the ones to get the ball rolling. Could you discuss this a little more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got together with our uh, with the, the new drummer and started uh you know kind of hashing stuff out jim had a ton of ideas that were really really killer um and clown had a lot of really cool atmospheric stuff and it made my job super easy you know i was like oh i can i can write to this Ooh, i can write to that you know um i had like three songs of my own that i brought in and uh but the majority of it was yeah it was jim and clown just kind of putting stuff together slowly but surely and they did a lot of the legwork and uh it, it's, it just kind of came out fantastic. Media can be a fickle creature as much as the fans. And obviously, I work in the media, so I like to get both sides of the spectrum. Uh, I like to equate it when I'm explaining politics to my brother. And he sees that I watch Bill Maher. And then at the same time, I watch Bill O'Reilly. And my excuse is, I believe you should know both sides of the story. And then you as a person should be the one to decide what's right to you. I think in politics and religion, almost oddly enough, kind of go hand in hand as far as mentality is concerned. What I did notice is the fans can be lukewarm with you guys sometimes. As far as the response to this album, it seemed that way. Then it seems that there was an enlightenment where they finally got it. Corey, have you said how this actually made you very happy because the fans were finally doing their job? Could you elaborate further? No, I mean, I, I, I expected it. You know, anytime you're trying something different, which we're notorious for, it takes people a while to catch on because nine times out of ten, people will not make up their own mind. They'll go with whatever the kind of overlying view is, you know. So I knew as soon as people heard The Devil and I that they would be like, well, what, you know, what the hell is this and whatever, you know, it would be very divided, even after hearing the negative one. And I was like, you know what, just give it time, let everybody hear the whole album, put everything in context, and then it'll come back to us. So I had no worries about it, you know, and people were coming out of the woodwork, you know, I mean, whether it was, you know, it's not heavy enough or, you know, know, Corey Taylor's trying to turn it into stone sour, and I'm just like, you guys are idiots, you know, seriously. But then, you know, but then... Once you put those two songs in context with everything, 
um, it all started to make sense. So we were just kind of waiting for the oh moment, you know, and it and inevitably came. And then, you know, you know, lo and behold, we had a number one album. I was curious. Do you still try to make the fans sit all the way down during the show? Oh, yeah. You still- oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just did it last night in Corpus. And it was awesome. And the funny thing is, is that we are get, we've got so many new fans. You know, after 15 years, we got so many new fans that it's like they're kind of like, well, what the hell's this going on? And then some of the, you know, the diehards are really kind of leading it because they know what's coming. And then they're like, oh, and it, it's a great way to combine the old fans and the new fans and just make them fans, you know, and it really brings everybody together. One of my favorite songs for driving really fucking fast is Custer. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could yeah. you tell me a little about about that song? That song was, uh, as soon as I heard the music, I was like, this song is going to be huge live. And it is. And we, we immediately put it in the set. And we were like, well, yeah, we're playing this every night. Um, that song is essentially just kind of about, you know, uh, taking everyone's perception of what we are and turning it on its face, you know, I'm basically saying, look, just, just you, you don't know unless you've been in this, you don't know what we're going through. You don't know what we're doing. You don't know what, what's going on. So save your opinions for someone who cares because we don't care, you know? Um, and I mean, that's kind of the, you know, it's kind of the, the overlying theme of the, of the, the album, you know, besides dealing with the grieving process, it's about, you know, showing people again that just when you think you've got us figured out, you don't. You know, we turn on a dime and we start going in a direction that makes sense for us. And you're either with us or you're not, you know, and that's Custer kind of sums that up perfectly. To form a line to 
like that overall theme and it almost seems clearer when I saw you on Larry King. Number yeah. one, yeah. when I first heard about Larry King, I was like, I thought maybe it was like an early April Fool's joke or a prank. And I watched it and I found it awkwardly entertaining and enjoyed it simply because at his age, I mean, he's like my grandfather's age, yeah. was daring enough to interview <laughs> a member of Slipknot. I, I also saw he interviewed Marilyn Manson yeah. in a million years. I would have never thought that. What was your feelings about this interview and were you dying to have him try on your mask just because no i i wouldn't have done that to him um but i he wanted me to put it on because I, I was just, i brought it out just to show him and then he just kind of he got that look in his eyes like would you put it on and i'm like well, larry king asked you to put your mask on that's what you do he was absolutely wonderful you know it was so cool honestly probably didn't know anything about me didn't know me from adam and yet the more we talked the more inquisitive he got you know he started looking up from his notes and, and just asking me questions that would come to his head you know we had a really good conversation and we had really good conversation off camera as well just talking about music you know I mean we're both Sinatra fans we're both jazz fans so just being able to talk that and relate to that that kind of pulled each other we, it pulled us a little closer when it came to the conversation we both kind of started out a little nervous and then by the end we didn't want it to stop you know so it was it was weird man I didn't it's, it's, I did not expect to be, you know, interviewed by Larry King, and yet, boom, it's just one more thing that I've gotten to do. What's your favorite Frank Sinatra song? My favorite? Oh, man. You know, One for the Road's really good. Uh, his cover of Something is actually really, really well, good. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, Something in the Way She Moves is fan. It's beautiful. It's really, really cool. And you'd think, Frank Sinatra doing a Beatles song. Really? And it just works, man. It's just his his sense of timing is so fantastic. I mean, that's, you know, I'm hard-pressed to think of a, of a favorite, but those two are really, really good.
Somewhere in her smile she knows That I don't need no other lover Something in the way she shows me I don't want to leave her now You better believe it now Activation complete. Fucking Windows 98. You can follow Skitopia on Facebook and Twitter. Search Skitopia and check out all things Talking with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. A few weeks ago, you mentioned in an interview that Slipknot will not officially reveal new musicians' identities, quote-unquote, unless we absolutely have to. Is this due to having to earn their place in the band? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of that, absolutely. But it's also us trying to take the focus off of the fact that we have two new members and putting it where it needs to be, which is on the music and which is on the overall, you know, because, you know, nine times out of ten, people can be distracted by minutia and 
you know, they'll they'll focus on that without, you know, looking at the overlying, you know, project. You know, kind of what we, you know, we're talking about with the new songs, you know, releasing those two and then people sing the overview. That's what we're doing here. Um, so it's a little bit of earning it, and it's also a little bit of trying to keep the focus on the band as a whole and not just, you know, those two people. Tell me about how cathartic it was for you writing the material for the new album, especially, you know, about Paul and whatnot. It was heavy duty. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we knew going into it that it was going to be an an album about Paul. And not just about Paul, but just about us dealing with the loss of Paul and the grieving process. And uh, all of the stuff that I was writing was so honest and dark and emotional that... You know, there there were a couple times that the guys pulled me aside. He's like, "You sure you want to go and say this?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." I mean, if you cut one side off, you're only feeling that one side, you know. And then you you can't release if you're only feeling one side of an emotion, you know. So for me, it was much more important to show all of the different sides of the grieving process, whether it was the sadness and the melancholy that comes with it on varying degrees on any given day, or the anger that comes with it, whether it's anger at yourself or anger at your friend who you lost. And that because it's natural, it's a very human thing to get mad at the person that you miss that much. And then there's a guilt that comes with that. And then it's almost like a a, just a replenishing cycle that you just can't get a handle on until you've dealt with it, you know, and it's it. I mean, you know, there are still days that it's it's really hard for me not having Paul here, you know, but at the same time, I wanted to show the fans and the family out there, you know, just what we had been going through and the depths of which we had been dealing with it. Not to keep the theme low, but it's hit me pretty hard last night. Um, Two words, Wayne Static. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was really good friends with Wayne. Uh, I'd known him going all the way back to, you know, OzFest 99, you know. I mean, he was a really great dude. I'd toured with him in the past. Um, I'd lost touch with him, you know, the last few years, but I was really, really devastated to hear about that. You know, it's just such a shame, you know. And it just makes you kind of go, well, what the hell? You know, why? So, and I'm, you know, I'm really good friends with a lot of people who were close to him. And, you know, I've, I've been reaching out to them and making sure they're okay. And it's just, yeah, it's it's quite a loss. Devastating in a lot of ways, uh, obviously. I'm not in the rock, you know, the rock band, but, you know, being able to sit down with the guy and really just kind of hang out, it, it was... I think it hit anybody that has ever come in contact with him, and not only guys in the media or in bands. I think fans in general, and I truly hope, and I wonder if you agree with me, that it makes people take a step back at their own personal life of maybe something they're doing that this is reality, that that this happens, and you need to take a look at yourself and hopefully learn from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, I mean, that's the only way you can try to get any kind of, you know, positivity out of something like this like if that helps one person then you know maybe there's hope sometimes it's just it's hard it's hard fighting through that you know especially when you're so wrapped up in it you know and having gone through it myself I can tell you it's I mean it's a it's an everyday battle it's an everyday battle to keep yourself you know strong healthy everything you know because when you're when you're an addict it's Every day is just a, it's, it's fighting the will to kind of go and do that. 
All right. The latest song for Slipknot, The Devil and I, let's talk about it. Was this one of the first songs recorded, and why was it selected as the leadoff track? Um, that was part of uh, that was part of those songs that Jim had brought in you know, musically. It was just there was just something very special about that song, you know, that we just we all loved, and uh, it just had so much room, in my opinion, for melody. That when we put it together and actually really got it got it all together and listened to it back, we were like, well, this is you know this is obviously the first single, you know, even though there was a handful of tunes on there that could have gone first, that one just felt different. And you tend to go with your gut on that, you know, and you kind of run with it and just, you know, it's and I mean, it's done really well. People have really responded to it. I noticed people also responded to Knotfest. I wish I could have gone. Uh, obviously, I wasn't able to make it. What bands were you personally most excited about seeing at Knotfest? You know, it's a good good question. Um, I'm a huge Amen fan. I love that band ever since their first album came out. Um, uh, I'm good friends with uh, the guys in Prong, so I was excited to see them. Um, I mean, the list goes on. There were so many goddamn bands there. It was OTEP, you know. I mean, it was just it was a good weekend for us. Not just Slipknot, but heavy metal in general. You know, it was kind of making a point, making a statement. That's like, we're not dead. As much as the pop industry would love for us to go away, that'll never fucking happen. So I was really just happy that we put something together really special like that. I, uh, um... Uh, notice you recently teamed up with the U Rock Foundation and did a PSA about depression and suicide prevent, uh, prevention. Uh, first, how did you get involved with the foundation, and could you touch base on your own personal demons? Uh, and what is the best advice you could give not only kids but people in general to find a way out? And I, this part of the question means a lot to me because at 40 years old, I have been sober for about 35 days, and it took a lot and dealt with depression, dealt with suicide, dealt with what the fuck am I doing on this planet? Why am I here? Uh, So just enlighten me on that, how you got involved with all of this stuff. I mean, the way I got involved was was pretty simple. They just they they reached out to me and wondered if I would, you know, because they had read you know some of the interviews that I had done in the past, you know, talking about depression and and the the handful of suicide attempts I'd tried uh, in the past, and I was more than more than happy to do it. You know, um, for me, you know, half of this is paying backwards, you know, and, and trying to give back as much as possible to not only to the fans, but to the people who helped me get there, you know. So for me, it was it was important to share that story. And especially in this day and age when everything can be so brutal, you know, whether it's high school or just the reality of being an adult in, a, in an age where you just really don't know what the hell's going on, you know. And so many people are dealing with so many psychoses that I thought maybe if I'd shared my story, maybe it would show people that it's okay to feel it and you can get through it if you just stay strong, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've fought depression my whole life. Um, part of it is, is the the reason that I can write as well as I do, in my opinion. Uh, but the other side of it is is that it's a physical... It's a physical depression, too, because it just makes you... There are days I just... I can't get out of bed, even with kids, even with responsibilities. I just cannot get out of bed because I'm so compressed and heavy. Um, And 
you know, I, you know, I don't take medication for it, but I know people who do and it works for them. Um, so my advice is just to kind of hang in there. You know, I mean, the, the thing about it is that, you know, you're dealing with it and you know that it's something that you just have to deal with. And instead of focusing on it, you just have to make it part of your story. And then that makes it manageable. You know, it's like, yes, I deal with depression, but my overall view is that I want to do this and I want to do that. I want to do all of these things. When you focus on the depression itself, it becomes too much to handle. And then it just, it gets out of your hands and you end up, you know, making bad decisions, engaged in bad behavior, trying to treat it with, with chemicals that aren't healthy for you. And it's just, it becomes impossible to deal with. It's, it's like, it's like trying to catch soup in your hands. You know, there's no way you're going to be able to get a hold of it. It's just going to run through. And then you just throw your hands up and you're like, it's impossible. It's not impossible. What you do is you just make it, you just accept it. It's like, okay, this is part of who I am, but it's not what I want to be. And once you make that decision, you can step past it, whether it's through therapy, uh, medication, a combination of the two, or just surrounding yourself with positivity and working through it your own way, you know, because there's no right way or no wrong way to do it. You just have to hold on to that positivity as, as long as you can. And the depression will try to pull it from you. But as long as you can hold on to that and just keep that view in sight, one day becomes a week, a week becomes a month, a month becomes a year, a year becomes 10. And after that, you've, you're starting to live your life again. And it's not about this. It's about that. It's about outside the window, not inside your house. That's great to hear. I want to end it on a positive note for the people listening. Sorry. Off the new album, Point Five, uh, the Gray album. Give me two songs that you absolutely enjoyed writing and tell us why. Um, AOV was an absolute blast um, because it's such a roller coaster musically. It, it goes from this kind of grooving chug to these blast beats to these incredibly melodic bits, you know, and I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, and I loved writing that because I, I love changing gears when people aren't expecting it, you know. And then I was uh, If Rain Is What You Want because it's so atmospheric and it's so um, artistic and creative. And it was just, a, I mean, musically, it was just such a piece. It wasn't just a song. It was just, a, to me, it was a beautiful piece of, of, of music. And... I, you know, I, I kind I had to come at it like a couple of different ways just to kind of find the spirit of it and make sure that I wasn't overdoing it. I was trying to tap into the, to the, the soul of it. Um, so those two for me were the, were the, were two of the most fun to, to record. Corey, I know you're an atheist, but let me tell you something from finally being able to talk to you 101. I consider you a guy that uh, preaches a sermon for the sinners. And you got a lot to talk about, and I think you send a positive message, and fuck anybody else that thinks any otherwise. Man, Corey, thank you very much for sitting down. I appreciate it. Thank you.
face it? Can we shape it? Can we really die? If rain is what you want, all you have to do is close your eyes.
hell yeah. What an absolutely great guy. Corey Taylor, lead vocalist of Slipknot. Of course, you know him from Stone Sour as well. The album is .5, The Gray Chapter. You heard a couple of songs. Custer, man, to see that song live, yeah, okay, I'm going to give it away. He, he does play that song pretty much in every town he's going to be in, so definitely look forward to uh, getting some whiplash. You're going to walk out of that place going, holy shit, man. And Sinatra, man. You can't go wrong with Sinatra. I have said this once, and I'll say it a million fucking times. Uh, Old Blue Eyes, man. It doesn't matter if you're a metalhead, if you're some down boy country folk, man. Uh, country isn't country unless it was Hank Williams. Guys like that admire Frank Sinatra. You know, something in the way. I, and Corey was right. That's the, the first time I have ever heard that song, so I had to play it uh, for Corey Taylor fans and for people that just... Because the way I've always looked at it, if I'm a fan of a certain artist and they introduce me to someone I may know but have not been introduced to a particular song, then I'm going to be the guy that goes out and searches for it. So hopefully I helped you with that so you could hear what he was talking about as well. And that was a hell of a cover. Uh, And that's great. And the final song that he did, uh, If Rain Is What You Want. Right? That was that was it, yeah. Awesome song. I understand where the definition of of how that song meant so much. And you could tell that he put his heart and soul into this album. And this is a guy and, and without going off on a rant here, there are so many people that misunderstand the genre that is metal. People automatically are so close-minded to that genre that automatically assume, well, if you listen to metal, you believe in Satan, you're probably cutting the heads off chickens and you're bathing in their blood and you're killing puppies and kittens and it's all that's evil. But you don't understand. And if you don't understand, then shut the fuck up. Just don't listen. No one's making you listen. Don't be one of these jerk-offs that stand in front of arenas, in front of theaters around the United States like these douchebags from the Westboro Baptist Church that says you're all going to hell. I truly disagree with that. Now, as you heard the last part, I understand he's an atheist. I'm not an atheist. I'm a guy that is a firm believer that there is a power higher than all of us. That's what I believe. But I'm not going to be some Bible beater, you know, getting into not only a political debate, but a religious debate. Because you know what? At the end of the day, I can listen to a Slipknot album or I could have a conversation like I did with Corey Taylor. And we're just two guys shooting the shit talking about what makes him happy and having myself ask questions that I'm curious about because I admire the guy and I've always admired the guy and I don't care what he believes in I don't care what his political stance is and I sure as shit don't care what anybody else thinks of that type of genre if you listen to Slipknot 
don't be one of these fair weather fans. Don't be a cowboy fan. You know the fucking bandwagon cowboy fans. America's team, man. Shut the fuck up. Look, uh, they're winning, they're losing, whatever. It's the same with music. If for whatever reason, you think it sounds different, well, hopefully after this interview, you understand that this album meant a lot to him and the rest of the band. And hopefully, if you're a real fan, if you're a true maggot, then now you will listen to it with a whole fresh pair of ears, an all-new insight. So once again, thank you very much to Corey Taylor and the fine people at Roadrunner Records for hooking that up. Of course, my man L.A. Lloyd and Matt Kelly, the rock and roll photographer that I swear to God, if somebody in Alt Magazine or Revolver or Spin does not pick him up, uh, you guys are idiots. And guys like myself and my good friend L.A. Lloyd uh, from The Rock Countdown, he has his syndicated show. Uh, we're the lucky ones because we I mean, we landed on a gold mine with a guy like that. So I'm incredibly happy at all the photos that he provided. And it's all on the website, nevergetlaid.com. Please follow me on Twitter, at Skitopia, S-K-W-E-T-O-P-I-A. And tell your friends about it. Follow Start to get involved in podcasts. My podcasts, I spew whatever the hell is on my mind. It's uncensored. It's it's about probably the most honest that I am with anybody is when I'm sitting in my studio talking into a microphone. I enjoy what the hell I do, and I sure as hell hope you enjoy it as well and learn some brand new fucking artists and don't be so close-minded. That's going to do it for me, kids. And I'm out of here.